Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 22. We're going to be talking about Steve's power outage that took him out of action for almost a week a couple of days ago lots of interesting things there we're also going to be talking about the new nvidia control panel well the nvidia app replacing the terrible control panel and the implications that has as well as my experience switching from my old threadripper system to a new am5 system and the benefits pros and cons that that has had for my workflow here working for hardware unboxed so yeah plenty of stuff to get to in this episode let's get straight into it Steve, you need to explain yourself a second time because we missed last week's podcast and it is 100% your fault. So what yes. happened? Well, yes. maybe not your fault, but well, it was related to you. Once again, I was the weakest link in the uh, podcast. So I've got to stop making a habit of this. But yes, no, power went out. We uh, had a huge storm roll through the whole state. To be fair, like half a million homes lost power. A small number. Cut, cut me some slack on that one. And crazy, there's still like 1,200 homes without power right now. And mm-hmm. we're, are we, we're more than a week on, aren't we? Yeah, a week and a half. I think yeah, it was like Tuesday last week or something. We're recording yeah. this on Friday, so yeah. Yep, yeah. I saw just yesterday on the news that there are some families still without power. I said there's 1,200 homes without power as we speak, but some of them are told it's going to be at least another week before power is restored to them. So you're looking at two and a half weeks without power, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee that they'll have power back in a week. I, I know... I think it was two years ago we had a huge winter storm and there were people that went for, I think, Mount Dandenong area like a month without power, which is just insane. Yeah, I mean, the storm just destroyed infrastructure. Like mm-hmm. you live quite a way away from me, but there was stuff out near me where, mm-hmm. you know, big transmission towers like the huge high-voltage metal towers, you know, big tall ones were just completely collapsed in the mm. storm and that caused the power station to trip and that affected quite a significant part of the state. Luckily, I wasn't affected despite the fact that the transmission towers were the ones mm. near me that that collapsed. But yeah, I mean, that and then on top of that, you get all the local power transmission lines and things getting flattened and yeah, it's just no no good situation. But I think, how long was your power out for? 
two, three days in the end? Uh, I think it might have been technically like four days, but okay. three to four depending on like when the power went down the afternoon and it came back. I think it came back in the afternoon as well. I think it might have been four days. Honestly, the whole that section of my life is a bit of a blur um, because, you know, to add insult to injury, we hadn't had proper phone reception here since, well, late last year. Um, right. It, it was it was patchy here and there, and then we'd had a solid week with zero bars, like no reception. And as I speak right now, we still have no reception. So this podcast and the previous one, I had to use Starlink, uh, which is what I'm currently using now. And when we lose power, the local tower is useless anyway. So I have a 4G tower. I have an unlimited 4G plan. There's no congestion. So when it is running, it's fantastic for uploading YouTube videos and stuff like that. Really good. But it only has about a three-hour battery backup. So when we lose power, (laughs) if we lose power for more than three hours, uh, you lose landlines, you lose mobile phones, and you lose internet. So the only form of internet out this way is like, you know, your ADSL or your wireless NBN, both of which have to go through that that um that tower, that that relay. So when that loses power, it's complete blackout for the area. And that's why I bought Starlink. So once again, for the four days, we had friends and people coming over and they were, you know, Wi-Fi calling. That's a really cool technology. So they were coming here to make phone calls, get out messages, do all that sort of stuff. So I have just a little like 8.7 KVA generator that um, I wire into our board so we can use you know one output on that at technically 10 amps, though I think I updrew a bit more than that at times. And then the second outlet, we plug kettles and things like that in. So it, it works. It's a bit janky. But not ideal for doing stuff like this because you know you could trip the one of the breakers on the on the uh, generator at any moment if someone overloads it or accidentally turns something on. Though I do turn off most of the heavy users. Like we don't have hot water, for example, because the booster on that just uses way too much power. Can't use any of the big split system air cons and heaters. Thankfully, the four days we didn't have power was absolutely lovely weather. Unlike the two years prior where we lost power for just over a week and it was like four degrees all day. Mm -hmm. So that made not having any kind of uh, air conditioning fine. But yeah, so point is we had power. um, It just wasn't powering everything and we had Starlink. So I was able to work and get some stuff done. But yeah, as I said, having the office go down when something trips and then some of the, some of my stuff's on UPSs, but obviously not everything. Uh, we'll look to change that. So anyway, that was um that was a fun week. So you told me that you had come up with some sort of solution for this in the future. Did you want to run through your future solution to prevent power outs? Yeah. So about two years ago when we had that the winter week that was by far the worst power outage we've had just because of how cold it was and all that sort of stuff, I spoke to my wife and I was like, you know what, we need to do some sort of battery backup. So I looked into stuff like, you know, the Tesla power walls and things like that. And I think for for what we comfortably would like to run for up to a week, I, I'd need at least a, at minimum, I think it was three of the Tesla power walls, like the, the two version, which I'm not sure if the third iteration of that's out yet. I know it was coming, but anyway, Tesla power walls. Go, I was going to need about $70,000 worth of those Um as I understood it when we when we roughly looked into this. And then I'd heard from people who had installed, you know, multiple Tesla power walls in areas like Mount Danong, who lost power for quite a long time. 
and they had solar panels and other renewable ways of charging them. But essentially, inside of a week, they needed to hire a diesel generator to recharge the batteries to then run them for like three or four days. And then the diesel generator had to recharge them. So they're they're slightly better than a UPS, but for the, these people were complaining because I think they'd spent like 40 or $50,000 on these batteries that they Mm. were told would last a lot longer than they did. And of course, then you get, you know, it's sort of a big investment, right? If you're going to spend that kind of money, you will, you've sort of committed to, I'm probably going to live here for the next 10, 15, possibly 20 years. So spending that kind of money to ensure that I don't have the the, the uh, inconvenience of power outage, it's kind of worth it. But then if you get 10 years on and you've lost like 30% of mm. the battery capacity, that's really annoying. I, I'm just throwing a number out there. I don't know exactly what the battery degradation is for something like a, a, um, a, a Tesla Powerwall, but based on the technology that I know it uses, that figure seems roughly right um and they do like to be power cycled and stuff like that so it may even be worse so anyway i mean the the issue for you right is like yeah they're great if you have power go down for like 12 hours a day you could if you had Mm -hmm. enough power walls you could realistically use uninterrupted off that yeah but you have had multiple instances of power going down for four or five days Mm -hmm. a week yeah and that's you know kind of blows out what you can possibly do with battery backups unless you have a huge system That's right. at your like, house. Yeah. Assuming that we don't have some sort of deadline that needs to be done then and there, which would be very unlucky, a, a power outage for a day or two is, you know, no big deal, right? You go and you do a few things. You, you do yeah. some stuff that you've been meaning to do for a while. You go do that. And before you know it, you come back, the power's back on and away you go. But when it's three, four, five a week, maybe two weeks, then different story. So we had been exploring options and I'd been getting feedback from various different people on how various solutions were working. Uh, We have a lot of farmers out my way that obviously have to keep powering their farm or they lose potentially millions of dollars, contracts and whatnot. And they, they all just go the diesel generator option, which makes sense if you have a big power draw, I suppose. Anyway... I wanted to go with the battery option initially. Um, The more I understood, the the less attractive it was. Uh, It was going to be very expensive to power what we need. So in the end, I um, rang up an an electrical company that that does generators and they came highly recommended. They've got good reviews online, all that sort of stuff. So should be a good service. I've only just uh, paid the deposit and started that process now. So I think it'll be getting installed uh, probably midway through next week would be my guess. Um, but I've got a Paramac uh, 17 kVA diesel generator uh, coming. So that's a pretty expensive generator, but still much cheaper than what I'd be facing with like Tesla Powerwalls. Uh, and then it's got a 125 amp automatic switchover. So it detects the power loss from the mains and will fire up. I think it takes about 20 seconds to kick in and start delivering. So you will need UPSs on any sort of critical systems to stop them from completely losing power and having to you know reboot them once the generator is going. And that should last. It's 130 liters, should run for three or four days based on the load we'll be throwing at it um, for the most part. So Again, we'll we'll get this all set up and and wired mm-hmm. in and and we'll see how it goes. And look, if I it's a pretty big investment, but if I make this big investment and we don't lose power again for the next ten years, I, I'll be more than happy 
Uh, but the chances of that happening at these pretty wild weather events that we get, pretty common now. We're getting a minimum of two a year. Um, yeah. Three or four seems pretty common now. And yeah, um, each time the, the power loss for us is, yeah, minimum of four days, sometimes more than a week. And yeah, it's a business expense as well. So that sort of helped pull the trigger on it. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you, I, like I mentioned to you in our little chat earlier, it's you're basically like having a hospital generator yeah. where they, you know, detect the power out, they kick on and and start working. So mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how that goes for you. How big is it? Like it must be a fairly sizable system. Um, off the top of my head from memory, it's about almost two meters long. So it's 1.8 meters exactly. It's about 850 centimeters wide, I believe, and almost a meter tall. So it's like, it's like you know, like a mini shipping container. Um, they're they're outdoor units. It's a very professional sort of setup system. As I said, it's, it's oh, yeah. very expensive, but it's got its own. Um, it's it's insulated. It's got its own ventilation. Uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive setup. So we've got a spot where we think that's going to go. Obviously, very close to the. The power box, uh, so that can be wired in. It's yeah, as I said, it's it's quite thick wires and things and, and high voltage stuff that needs to go from there into the box. Uh, yeah, big unit. It should be the advantages over the little petrol generator that I currently run is that it's a lot quieter. Uh, it can obviously power everything with ease. It's almost overkill territory, but we we you don't want to run them at too low a capacity. Because uh, that's yeah. not good for the engine, but you also don't want to be running them. They're, they're designed to run ideally, I think, around seventy percent capacity. That's that's mm-hmm. pretty that's pretty optimal operation. I think we'll be at peak around that. Um, so at least if you can get it up to that at times, you avoid like you know polishing the bores on the the cylinders and all that sort of stuff from just idling it constantly. Uh, but yeah, I, it, this is all relatively new to me. I've never gone anything this serious before, uh, so I'm very keen to get it all set up and see how it goes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm very keen to see how that goes for you and the mm. whole process and everything. I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll be chatting about that in the in some future podcast episodes. But yeah, probably a good explainer for why there was no podcast last week, what you've been up to and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, fun times when the power goes down. Not yeah. not a fan. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we got really lucky with the timing. Like we did have a bid on for that week, but I basically took most of the week off. I did a little bit of testing and 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 kept up with what we had to get going. But one of the reasons why I pulled the trigger on this is because could you imagine this happening when we've got maybe something like Zen 5 dropping with maybe the new GeForce GPUs? You know, we've had those sort of weeks where... Yeah, everything know, comes at once yeah, and you've got to work flat out. Yeah. yeah, you barely sleep. There's not a minute to spare. It's just go, 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 go. And a, a power outage for even a day in that kind of week would just be devastating. Like I, I would pay yeah. a lot of money to avoid that. And, and that's essentially have. what I've done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, I'll, I guess next podcast, which should be next week. Uh, hopefully I'll have some sort of update for you guys on how the installation went. Cause I think it'll be done by then. It'll, it'll be underway anyway. All right, aside from Steve's generator news, which is perhaps the biggest news of the week in, in tech because not much has been happening. No, no, no. We've got the NVIDIA control panel, uh, the news of the... Well, it's not the control panel anymore. It's, they go, they've released this NVIDIA app beta, which we covered on the channel yesterday. So if you want to see the, this new interface that NVIDIA is going with to replace the control panel on GeForce Experience, we've got a video discussing that. But basically, 
wanted to just have a chat with you about how bad the original control panel was and also uh, what this new NVIDIA app is is fixing. Because I think the big one for us reviewers is they've removed the login requirements for GeForce Experience. So finally, you do not have to log in to access driver updates, which is, oh, it's just so much better. It's so much better. I, I, I can't believe they haven't, they've taken this long to do it, but I guess that's NVIDIA for you. But no more logins. It's great. Yeah, I, I, while I agree, I'm probably more shocked that they actually removed the login because, you know, mm. NVIDIA, they do a thing. They're like, no, screw you guys. We want that data. We want that information or whatever it is they want to get out of it. We're making you do it. Like, tough luck. Like, it's, yeah. deal with it. And that sort of seems to have been the attitude for a long time now. It's like, this is a thing. Suck it up. You have to log in if you want to use it. So I honestly thought there was, uh, I thought that was there to stay forever. I didn't think that was ever going to change. I didn't, I, I know people hated it. I know we hated it. I know there was a bit of pushback, but I never got the sense that there was enough pushback where NVIDIA felt, okay, we've got to remove this. It's not popular. Gamers aren't happy because, well, gamers are rarely happy. There's always something <laughs> to complain about. I don't yeah. know. Do, do, you, do you agree? Do you think it was just something that was probably never going to happen and you didn't see enough pushback to, to force them to do it? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. I think because NVIDIA is in a dominant market position and people just use their GPUs anyway, regardless of mm-hmm. how outdated the control panel is or whether there's login requirements for GeForce Experience, people will just suck it up. They'll log in they'll, to get their driver um, installs. I mean, you can download it from the website, but it's an easy way to do it. You could access Shadow Play recording and things through their app and their interface and all that sort of thing. So I think a lot of people just accepted that this is a terrible user experience, but yeah, I'm not going to switch brands over this. I'm not going <laughs> to not run GeForce experience. I, I know some people did, but a majority of people I think did log in to access Shadowplay and stuff. So yeah, the fact that they've removed it was definitely a surprise, like going through the announcement and sort of looking through the changes to the interface made a lot of sense. Like obviously the control panel is outdated in its design, but there it, that seemed much more necessary than removing the login. Of course, mm-hmm. from a consumer standpoint, the, the login was pointless. Like it did absolutely nothing. There was no benefit to logging in. It's not like your settings were saved between PCs and stuff. It was just totally pointless. There was no benefit. I wonder if there was some sort of analysis done and they're like, okay, well, you know, we, we have a certain install base that doesn't actually use these features or whatever because they have to log in perhaps Mm -hmm. and realistically we can get all the information and data we want to collect anyway without them necessarily logging in i'm not sure if that's the case either uh yeah i i I don't know uh but in any case i'm very happy they did remove it and i'm also very shocked that they did yeah i think they can get all their tracking data and whatnot Mm -hmm regardless of whether people log in or not. Maybe they mm-hmm. found that having it specifically tied to an account wasn't that useful over a period of time. They still are incentivizing people to log in to access rewards through the new NVIDIA apps. They've got this like Call of Duty XP booster thing that you can access through there if you log in. And obviously game bundles for the future will be through a login. But all the core features in the application can now be accessed just straight off the bat and yeah, I mean, the big thing for me is just the speed and performance. Like outside of the login, the old NVIDIA control panel was disgustingly slow. Like mm. just awful, it was awful just clunky. speed. And having yeah. two different, 
you know, finding certain things was difficult. There was nothing good about it, right? The navigation was no. poor um, due to layout, due to speed, as you mentioned. It looked bad. It was very dated in terms of how it mm-hmm. looked. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just it was all around bad. And it's, again, I'm, 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 I'm as shocked as the fact that they've removed the login as I am the fact that they left such a clunky, outdated, crappy bit of software mm-hmm. that is kind of the thing that you need to use the hardware. And NVIDIA is such a proud company of their stuff being, you know, the best, the most flashy, mm. the best feature. It didn't make sense, right? There was a massive disconnect. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We're talking about a company that has some of the best software developers in the world. Like they mm-hmm. consistently seem to be at the forefront of all these applications and bits and pieces of software, whether that's AI or CUDA or whatever. And then you get to their control panel, which as far as I can tell, has been roughly the same interface since at least 2006, if not earlier. So we're talking nearly two decades of the same app and they've just built on top of it. And like, how is it possible that an app that looks the same as something from 2006 takes like multiple seconds to do anything? Mm -hmm. How how has that occurred over that period of time it's it blows my mind for a company that you know consistently updates like dlss to be better and introduces all sorts of new features and then the control panel takes like five seconds to load it was crazy so having this update makes a lot of sense like clearly this was an error they needed to fix and it's not fully featured yet not everything from the control panels in this new app but it seems clear that they're going to push everything into it in the future and that will yeah. just be way better way 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 better yeah a couple of big steps in the right direction for sure yeah it's interesting reading a few comments from people i saw it on our video and also just reading news article comments and things about people that really liked the old control panel and saying things like if it's not broken why bother fixing it or updating it and (laughs) it's like have these people like just not used it because it's definitely broken (laughs) but that's always going to happen right um there's always those people who just are heavily opposed to change. Yeah. It's, it's like you, you you can have something that you've done a certain way forever in a day, like in our videos, for example, and you can change it to something that the vast majority of people will agree is undeniably vastly superior, like much better in every conceivable way. And then yeah. you'll have this vocal minority of, of a few individuals who are like, bring back the old way, like this new way sucks. And they can't exactly tell you why, but they're like, the new way was fine. It's just, I, it's just human nature. I swear. Like some people just can't handle change. They just like, I'm used to it. I know where all, all my. St-. It's like I used to work at a grocery store to go off on a massive tangent. It was my first <laughs> job ever. And when I say used to, we're going back twenty plus years. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anywho, and you'd have the store all laid out, and we'd move like two things into an area that made more sense. You know, it was like, why are the tomato sauces here? They should be with the rest of the sauces, like the barbecue sauce and everything. Like they don't, yeah. they don't make sense with the cereal. How did that ever happen? And you move it to the place that makes sense, and then you'd get like it'd just be old lady after old lady. Not to you know, <laughs> stereotype the old ladies, but I'm sorry, that, that, this was actually the case. And they would just be very angry that you'd move the tomato sauce from where they knew it was to this new, yeah. what really was a more convenient uh, location that made more sense. And it's just. It's the little changes that trigger some people, and I swear this is the same thing. Except this is young, probably male gamers. So get it, get it together, young male gamers. Stop, stop being so opposed to change. It's for the better. They're doing yeah, it for the right. better. 
Like, yeah, of course I understand all the where all the locations of the features are in the NVIDIA control panel, but mm-hmm. even knowing that, it's like to actually do anything, it's like, okay, I need to click this button and then uh, let me just wait for that page to load yeah. and then, oh, I need to change the setting, let's click apply and then it hangs for like 10 seconds. <laughs> you're like, you're you're like willing, oh, this is a good experience. <laughs> you're willing to accept that it was so bad the other way that you will invest the small minute amount of time <laughs> to relearn <laughs> it in this new much better interface that they will build upon and... Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's. I'm. I'm sorry. Anyone who says that it was fine the way it was, however, it's like, no, you're wrong. Just yeah, wrong def- on that one. Definitely wrong. The new yeah. interface as well is super easy to navigate. The layout makes a lot of sense. So it's not like they've. Often you see those, you know, modern design changes where they just throw in garbage and make it really difficult to find things and make the interface unnecessarily large. Now, I guess you could make a complaint that the maybe it's not dense enough, but. You know, finding the app settings, finding the graphic settings for each game, super straightforward. The driver page makes a lot of sense, easy to navigate. And the new overlay for games as well is a lot easier to navigate, at least in my opinion, and doesn't block as much of the actual game. So it's easy to use while gaming. So they've clearly thought a lot about how this sort of app should be designed mm-hmm. and are putting in quite a bit of effort. And I would hope that once they bring across the rest of the features that aren't in the new NVIDIA app just yet, that all the display stuff is super easy to find and applies quickly and things like mm-hmm. that because even the Radeon control panel, it's faster, it's more modern compared to the NVIDIA control panel, but there is a few navigation issues get, getting to some areas. Mm-hmm. I'd say finding game settings is easier in Radeon software than the NVIDIA control panel, but display settings is kind of a bit buried. But at least things apply quickly, so you can turn things on or off, it just happens, generally speaking, in Radeon software. So... Yeah, I mean, this is really, I guess, one of the remaining features that was clearly superior when you mm-hmm. bought a Radeon GPU was sort of the quality of the driver software and being able to access features. I think, yeah, AMD fans were sort of pointing to this as the thing that AMD was doing better. And rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, Radeon software is it's just worlds better than the NVIDIA control panel. Like, it's just worlds better. But I think moving forward, once this NVIDIA app really gets going and has all the features integrated, this won't really be a discussion point anymore. Yeah, work with them a bit as well. It's like they've had this old, outdated thing that they seem to have, as far as I could tell, forgot it was a thing. Like, they're, yeah. oh, we've got that thing, it works. We haven't looked into it in forever, but it still works. Just use that. And then, you know, if you want a more polished thing than the GeForce experience, but they've committed to making this side of the product better, which is without question a win for GeForce users everywhere. And they've clearly listened. They've taken the steps. They've got a team working on it to improve it. And they'll probably listen to feedback as they go. Like it's kind of look at it like a BIOS, right? This is why people always say, oh, you should review BIOSes. But the second you review a BIOS, it's like five minutes later they've changed it and now it's a completely different interface because they can just change the, the interface as they go. So once you've got that updated platform that's somewhat modular and can be modified, really moving those settings around and, and optimizing the layout is relatively straightforward. You just need yep. the the shell to have it all in, which they're doing now. They're, they're unifying that software. And that's a good thing. It seems from my discussions with NVIDIA yesterday that they are very keen on getting feedback. Like, as you say, clearly they've listened to existing feedback, like the mm-hmm. login situation and the 
having settings split between two apps, which wasn't great. And there is a feedback setting in the new NVIDIA app beta. So I would encourage people if you don't like the interface or you think that something needs to be added to provide feedback to NVIDIA, because if it is a beta, then they're going to be listening to feedback the most during that period. So yeah, try it out. I would definitely use it over GeForce Experience. Like 100% would 100% recommend installing this. You can download it from the NVIDIA website right now and give it a try. See what you like and, and provide that feedback to NVIDIA because I'm sure that they'll be listening to the various different complaints about the interface from people that you know really did like the NVIDIA control panel. I'm sure they'll be listening mm-hmm. to those people to make it usable. But yeah, I mean, I... Even though their software sucked, I, I don't really think this was ever a feature that would, I guess, sway you one way or another to buying a GPU. Like Radeon GPUs had better driver software, but I'm not sure that was ever a, a key selling point for people. Like were they buying Radeon GPUs because of this or is it more features and performance? I guess that's why they've gotten away with it being so bad for so long is it's yeah. not really a driver of sales, I wouldn't have thought. No, it definitely isn't. It's like... It's kind of something that you take for granted almost. Uh, and yeah, that that's really it. Like, And it's not something you need to dive into all the time. Even for those that do a lot of like screen recordings and stuff, once you've got that set up, you generally don't have to go into the GeForce experience or the Adrenaline software mm. to make any modifications there. So it's not something you spend a lot of time in. Having said that, if it was easy to navigate and easy to use, you'd probably be more inclined to jump in there and make a few alterations or see, see what's on offer. But yeah, because yeah. the software's been so clunky, you've largely avoided it. And a lot of people haven't, well, when I say a lot of people, a lot of people in our audience claim to have not even bothered installing the GeForce experience yeah. because of the login and and this other software that offers the, you know, like OBS, for example, for those who want to record, there's more features and things uh, traditionally on offer there. So that's been the way they've gone about it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I sort of see, see in, in a way to sort of, at least what GeForce Experience used to be, kind of like the Asus MSI Gigabyte software utilities that you can install on your PC to control or RGB, various different software features. You know, it's it's kind of like those, for some reason that software has just never been good. Like it's always clunky and slow to use and has mm-hmm. issues and bugs and it's not necessary to install. Like if you've gotten... MSI motherboard, you don't need to install the Dragon Center or whatever it's called to access those features. You could just go into the, generally speaking, not great BIOS interfaces, navigate to your features, set things and forget it. But if there was like a really good software utility like that for other aspects of components that you've got in your system, like it actually did change your RGB settings easily and didn't constantly break or disable or cause game issues and i think people would be a lot more inclined to use those features then you can build on top of it like you get people interested in that app Mm -hmm. and then you can add in more useful features which strengthens everything and becomes more of a selling point over time but if the starting point is so clunky and bad like the control panel geforce experience but you really kind of have to start again and that's Mm -hmm. where that's why I think they've they've done this NVIDIA app approach. So yeah, I'm keen to see how they they build on top of that and improve it because it's certainly I was very impressed using it the first time. So I wanted to spend some time. I've I've held off on talking about this for a couple of podcasts, but I've sort of been more I don't know more experienced with what's happened since since I've done this and have got a few more experiences under my belt to talk about, but. 
a couple of weeks ago, I think it was probably almost a month ago now, I decided to ditch my Threadripper editing system and replace it with an AM5 system. So same AMD sort of CPUs, but I went from my Threadripper 3970X 32 core to a Ryzen 9 7950X on AM5. And the reason why I decided to do this was that I just eventually had gotten sick of constant issues with the Threadripper platform. And I wanted to just switch over to AM5 to see if some of the issues that I was having would be resolved from a platform change. Now, some of it could have been because I reinstalled Windows as well, which always has, you know, can fix a few issues here and there. But I just wanted to list off some of the issues I was having with my Threadripper system, numerous issues. So um, with your Threadripper, which motherboard are you using? So I had the Asus TRX40 Prime Pro S or something, Prime Mm. S, something along those lines. Um, I had constantly was updating the BIOS whenever there was a new one. I'd install Mm. chipset drivers. As I said, 3970X, I had like 128 gig of DDR4 in there. And I had populated a few of the PCI slots and stuff like that. Yeah, so classic Threadripper problems. And that was the Threadripper... Threadripper 3000 series, right? That's right. Yeah, so Zen 2. So I had the MSI Creator motherboard, and mine was actually pretty flawless. But then we went to the Threadripper 5000 series, and we tried Mm an Asus and an MSI board. Complete disaster, nothing Mm -hmm. but problems, and I documented that in our content. Um, And now we've moved to the 7000 series, which I suppose I'll talk about after you've talked about your AM5 experience, which I'm interested in because... I am now on AM5 with the 7950X 3D and have been for more than six months now. Yeah, it's it's been working well. So the issues I was having with Threadripper and what spurred this change was firstly just some general annoying, frustrating things every day. So for example, if I turn off the PC after restart or something, it would never load into Windows with three monitors attached. It would always crash and I had to unplug two of the monitors to run with one monitor, then it would allow me to boot. So, um, Was that with a GeForce or Radeon GPU or both? Yes, that, that was a GeForce GPU issue. It worked fine with Radeon. Okay, I had the for, same exact same problem. I had to go to a 6950 XT because even an RTX 4090. So yeah, I had the exact same problem with a different motherboard, um, with but only GeForce GPUs. Yeah, that's right. So I also had slow file copies. This is one of the most frustrating things would be I'd plug in a USB stick or, you know, the camera storage, plug it into copy over footage or try to copy it on or off my NAS on my network. And for like minutes at a time, it would just drop to 100 megabytes per second copies when it should be copying at 500 megabytes a second, a gigabyte per second or something like that. And I just... I could not figure out what was causing this. It would just constantly have these file transfer or storage issues. And that would have issues in things like Premiere as well when you're trying to load in footage and then suddenly, for some reason, storage performance would just massively fall off. And eventually it would would fix itself after a couple of minutes. The performance would dip back up again. But this would just be random and very, very frustrating. I had issues with the glitchy interface. So things like moving, resizing windows would be very glitchy stuttery, resizing things. It just felt very slow to use in that sense. Random system hangs for seconds at a time. I'm talking like the system like fully freezing for a couple of seconds at a time. And then, yeah, system would occasionally resume from sleep and apps would just crash or be very unpleasant. You'd have to restart it to have it not run like crap anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Random periods of slow app usage. So, things like switching Chrome tabs or into a new Explorer folder. And it just seemed like 
it was the system was very unresponsive. Premiere issues, playback you just randomly would be unusably slow at one time loading a project file, restart the computer, you'd load it again and it would be fine. And then some videos would just render slowly. Again, all this stuff was happening just randomly. Like I'd be working on a project, it'd be fine, I'd hit render, I'm like, wow, this is taking like an unreasonably long amount of time. Restart, retry the render, it'd render fine. And then just some general limitation issues, things like I was using an RTX 3090 with the 3970X. That's a pretty high power consumption system with high heat output for that sort of performance, which could be improved moving to a a newer platform. And then the single thread performance limitations was having a few impacts on things like the B-Raw editing that I do is a bit more single thread heavy. Photoshop performance, something I use a fair bit, was feeling a bit sluggish as Photoshop adds more features and things. So eventually I was just editing a video one day. I think it was like one of the comparison videos where I was going through footage side by side. I was trying to get Premiere to work. Everything wasn't working. Footage copying was slow. It was glitchy. wasn't working. I'm like, man, I have had enough with this crap. Like I'm sick of dealing with this on a daily basis for six months. I've tried updating Windows, rolling it back, driver updates from NVIDIA, switching to an AMD GPU, which causes other performance issues for Premiere. So I just switched back to GeForce and then BIOS updates being non-existent or not really fixing anything. I'm just like, man, I've got this spare 7950X here. I've got a spare AM5 motherboard. I'm just going to switch. I'm going to spend a day, you know, reinstalling Windows, redoing everything. And this has honestly fixed pretty much everything about my experience. Yeah, okay. All pretty much all those issues far superior with my experience now. Um, I guess with the AM5 system, there is a few areas that aren't quite as good as using Threadripper. One would be video encoding performance is clearly slower using the 7950X versus the 3970X. I just as a rough guide, I didn't do extensive benchmarking on this, but it seems to be about 20% slower for encoding videos. Um, then, but again, you just set and you just leave it and mm-hmm. walk away and come back and it's usually fine. Everything else though is faster. So single thread performance, video editing performance is significantly faster, smoother to use, easier to work with. And yeah, it's been, it's been a good experience so far. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. You had a bit of a rougher experience we actually built two almost identical Threadripper yeah. systems at the same time. So I also had a Threadripper 3970X and I used that for quite a long time but got rid of it about a year ago not because there was anything necessarily wrong with it but I got Balin a 7950X 3D test system because our 5995WX was a disaster yeah so so I got him the 7950X 3D and it was yeah really impressive platform really great performance and I thought well for a lot of stuff, this is actually faster than the 3970X that I'm using, and I don't know when we're going to get a thread of a CPU that's worth upgrading to. So I um I I went down that path, and I'm still using it right now, and yeah, I've had really no issues with it. So uh, the only problem I've had with it is again, I still can't use three monitors flawlessly with a GeForce GPU. Oh, interesting, because um, that works okay well, with me. Well, I haven't tried it for about six months. So when right. I say still, it's not like the most up-to-date information in the world. Okay, sure. Uh, there's been numerous BIOS updates and even GeForce updates since then, so I should try that again. I am still using the 6950X, and I've been reluctant to change it because it it just works. 
it, yep. it, it never drops out a monitor. It never moves a window from where I've left it. It, it is all completely flawless and right. has been. So we, Windows made some changes to that, I noticed recently, yeah. in terms of dealing with like monitors going to sleep and stuff. It seems to be a bit better at, at handling that. Mm-hmm. The downside being that sometimes you, a, a window can disappear if your monitor dis- like disconnects. Yeah, well, and- I've, yeah, as I said, I've been using this setup for about a year now. With the 6950X and for that entire year-long period, I've not had a single hiccup. But yeah, I did have the problems um, with the Threadripper system and the system with the GeForce GP with the three monitors. So I don't know what the hell's going on there. The slow USB copy thing, I've had that on AM5 as well. I actually have had that more on AM5 than I did Threadripper. But I, I found out that it was more to do with the USB devices that I had plugged in. Like there was a, a hub, a USB hub that the system worked 90% of the time with. Um, but even if I wasn't going through the hub, if I was going off one of the ports on the back of the motherboard and I had just like the, the mouse receiver in the hub and it, when it did that drop down and wait thing, if I unplugged the hub, boom, straight away it was happy. Right. So, yeah, I wasn't using a hub or anything. I was just like straight. I ch- tested every single USB port, right. everything, like yeah. unplugging everything. And the network issue was weird as well because I had a well, I'll I was get just to using that. <laughs> motherboard network and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, a couple of weird USB niggles there. It seems to be quite sensitive, uh, but for the most part, fine, no problems. Mm-hmm. The network's been a nightmare for me um, because if you watch my video where I showed my office and setting it all up, those cables I use, those flat cables, mm-hmm. aren't shielded correctly or aren't fully shielded, which I didn't realize at the time. And I was getting constant dropouts and, and issues. And when right. I changed over to fully shielded, much thicker, less bendy cabling, yep. all of those dropouts and weird issues went away. Uh, but having said that, I've still had a m- much more luck with 10 gigabit networking by using like a discrete PCI Express card rather than the onboard stuff. Um, right. Sometimes even with the same like controllers, the same hardware, I found that the the add-in cards just work better. Yeah, I haven't found as, as much of that. My, my 10 gig networking has been working fine whether I use the add-in cards or not. My um, new AM5 system does use one of those ASUS gigabit uh, or 10 gigabit networking cards because the motherboard doesn't have 10 gig networking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just slotted that in and, and that worked uh, pretty well. But yeah, certainly like the USB stuff has been far better on the AM5 platform for me. Really has been working flawlessly. And I mean, I did also swap the GPU from an RTX 3090 to an RTX 4070. So it's about the same performance, but much more efficient Mm -hmm. and obviously the newer generation. So I don't know whether that has impacted the monitor situation, but I've got also obviously monitor test systems around here as well. I haven't really had too much multi-monitor issues lately on them Mm -hmm. using GeForce GPUs. The random system hangs for a second at a time or fully frozen that would almost certainly tie in with your buggy USB problems. So your USB mouse would yeah, be probably. dropping out. So I'd say those two things are directly related. So it sounds like your board had um, some USB problems that were probably causing most of your issues, I would guess. I would um, think so. <laughs> yeah, like even the sleeping stuff and potentially crashing. I, I reckon 80 to 90% of the stuff I'm seeing here uh, would be even like sometimes Premiere taking longer to encode than you would like. I reckon that's USB hang issues as well um, that could result in random crashes. So there was some major USB problem there that was, yeah, probably causing most of that, um, which thankfully yep. I didn't really have on my Threadripper system. Uh, but yep. anyway, that's that's that sucks. That's unlucky. But it's good to see that you're yeah, good to hear that you're having a good AM5 experience because Balin did, I did, um, and now you have. And 
I mean, we've built multiple AM5 systems on camera now, had yep. them boot up, flash the BIOS, no dramas. So, yeah, you know, I've, I've, got, said, I've got multiple that I use daily. Like my yeah. gaming rig's AM5 as well, and it works really well. Yeah, I, I found in my personal experience, I found AM5 to be every bit as reliable as like LG 1700. I found them to both be very good, really. Um, yeah. And any sort of weird niggles or issues can be largely attributed to a specific board um, that perhaps needs a BIOS update. But it's not yeah. something that you can just, you know, widely brush across the entire system, like a universal platform problem. Yeah, of course. Like with my issues as well, some of those issues could have been just Windows installation bloat related. Like it was the same Windows yeah. installed for multiple years. Hard but to say. I figured if I was going to bother reinstalling Windows to try and fix these problems, that I may as well just try every solution at once and hopefully mm -hmm. one of the things would work. Like if I reinstall Windows and switch platforms, change the GPU up, change the CPU, change everything, then potentially <laughs> something there will, will make it work well, right? Yeah. Well, mo most likely you would uh, introduce a whole heap of other problems and then not know what the hell's going on, but well, it, worked <laughs> it worked out. Possibly. I mean, AM5, as I said, has been very reliable for me. Um, yeah. The, the I, whole AM5 being problematic, um, yeah, we've, we've, I've seen and heard reports of that. I don't know mm -hmm. how much of it to attribute to like, you know, Radeon GPU drivers being bad because you see that people still try to bring that up and make that out to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And Radeon drivers by and large have been very good for many years now. And I've actually had less problems with Radeon GPU drivers than I have had GeForce GPU drivers over the years. Having said that, I think they're both in quite a good place and I wouldn't say that one's necessarily much better than the other. They're much of a muchness it probably depends more on personal experience but i mean i've done i've tested every single am5 x670 board um and you know there were issues early on a lot of the asus boards had a lot of memory training problems that i worked with asus to get solved uh asrock yep. had a couple of boards that were needed bios updates as well i've tested over 50 b650 boards at this point and they were actually a lot better because I got to them a bit later on. So a lot of the issues that were addressed on X670 got addressed to with B650 before I got to it. Yeah. And I found B650 to be flawless. Even the dirt cheap, ugly boards, they all worked absolutely fine. Stick a CPU in there. Admittedly, I'm not testing hundreds of memory kits. Um, I'm testing like half a dozen. <laughs> so You've, you've, you've got to hope that you get a good memory kit on the QVL list. But again, we recommend the, the memory that we use because we know it works on all of those boards without a problem. And that's the Trident Z or D5 Neo DDR5 6000 CL30 stuff. It's pretty cheap now. It's like $110 US. So it is premium memory, but I've put it on every single AM5 motherboard that's out there and it's just worked flawlessly yeah and that probably helped my experience as well because mm -hmm. i've built this system what like a year after am5 first launched mm -hmm. and went to the latest bios and things like that which probably mm -hmm. ironed out some of the Definitely. early adopter issues and there's usually a few especially when they're changing things as significant as the whole socket and moving to ddr5 there's going to be a few early adopter problems if you get that very first batch in especially and if you're using non-supported memory and things like mm -hmm. that but after a year usually You'd problems hope so. like this are fixed, yeah. And that's not unique to AMD either. Like yeah. when LGA 1200 came out, LGA 1700 came out, there was plenty of teething issues that some some of them took months to address. 
Um, and some of them are as serious as games not even working unless you went to the BIOS and disabled like the e-cores, for example. And that's yep. a, a really good example of why new architectures and platforms with new features and different ways of doing things cause all kinds of issues. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that there's a bit more ironing out that has to be done. I'm pretty confident if you buy an AM5 system now, you should be pretty foolproof. Uh, But again, like if you use odd memory and stuff like that, there's always the chance that you get a motherboard with some sort of issue that is hard to diagnose. Like motherboards are very complex bits of kit. And I've found boards that have like an odd USB issue and you don't, it's so hard to diagnose. I had a friend mm. that came to, to me and sometimes his, his Steel Series headset would work, other times it wouldn't, and it, all these the software would crash. And we just straight away were like, oh, it's the Steel Series headset. That's what the problem is, obviously. But it turns out the motherboard had a weird USB issue. Replacing it with the exact same motherboard solved everything. Wow. But, okay. Interesting. But, you know, diagnosing that is a nightmare. Um, yeah. And it's easy for it's easier for us reviewers because immediately I'd be like, well, it's probably the headset, but let's just change the motherboard, chuck in a different motherboard, solves all the problems. But then it's like, well, you know, has that particular brand and that particular board got a problem, or is it just that specific board that has the problem? Yeah, and so difficult. It, you know, computers are complicated; they're difficult, and people get triggered when I say this for some reason. But they're really designed to be built by a professional that can professionally diagnose any issues that occur during mm. the creation of that system. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I don't even know if they still do it now, but Intel CPUs said only to be installed by a trained engineer. Like on the I've packaging. Got, yeah, on the packaging. Like okay. right there. Um you can Google that and probably find out. But yeah, I don't I, I don't really pay much attention to the package anymore anymore. But yeah, the Intel CPUs, I think it was at the top of the box or something. Somewhere, maybe the front of the manual said to be installed by a you know, trained engineer. And then I've got mates who build system once every three years and they do a bit of research, ask a few questions. They want to build them though. They want to sort of do the whole process. And yeah, they're not trained uh, seasoned engineers. Like the simplest of things will cause them problems. And, you know, so how often when people are saying, I have a problem with an LJ 1700 system, the platform sucks, or I have a problem with AM5, the platform sucks. How often is that user error? And I'm not trying to pick on people and say, you know, it's always user error. Like that's not the, mm. not the case at all. But I'm sure a lot of problems can be attributed to user error. This is probably one of the reasons why I'd probably stick more to the consumer platforms over Threadripper oh, yeah. for my system moving forward is just because there's just so many more AM5 users and so many so much more time is being put into solving these small issues with the platform because there's the potential for more users to be affected. Like for, for me, with my Threadripper issues, I could have been the only person who was using that specific configuration running into those issues, in which case you know, it's unlikely that they'd be able to maybe even replicate it or ha- they'd have the hardware on hand or just have a person ready to test it or maybe they'd never got a report about the issue. Whereas with AM5, because the platform's so much larger, a lot of the basics, things like, USB working. I mean, AMD's had some USB issues over the years, but these are things that are more likely to be addressed via firmware updates and things over time, which is pretty mm-hmm. much, yeah, what I'd, I'd want to be seeing and using, which I guess makes it sort of a downside of Threadripper. It's like, yeah, you can access the high levels of performance, the additional cores, the 
additional PCIe lens and all that sort of stuff. But you kind of have to, in that process, sacrifice some of the support side of things. And I'm sure that if you were a big company that had ordered thousands of Threadripper workstations to use across your team of people working on whatever specific application that you were using, that you get a bit more support from you know, the motherboard makers and AMD to optimize it for those specific use cases. But for us, it's always been sort of like an edge case for Threadripper where mm. it's like you can use it for what we're using it for, like Premiere and things like that. But it's not like we've bought thousands of these. If we want to get like priority support or something, we have to basically be like, well, you know, we're YouTubers. So do you want to fix it or not? And, you know, I'm not expecting any resolution there on the scale of you know someone who's specifically ordered thousands and thousands of systems so yeah i think especially because the performance has been good enough for most of my use cases on the 7950x that i'm not really tempted by like a threadripper 7000 cpu like i'm sure it would be faster for video encoding but that's really the or and maybe warp stabilizer as well but that's really the only part of my workflow which would benefit from having a Threadripper system. I don't really need the additional memory channels. I don't really need the additional PCIe lanes. Mm-hmm. So sticking with the consumer platform that's good enough in terms of performance, has really fast single thread, has better stability, better, more frequent BIOS updates and more attention paid to it, I think is probably going to work out for the best for me. And also, you know, potentially a Zen 5 CPU that I could just drop into this system could at least I'm hoping will improve multi-core performance a little bit, like even a 20 or 30% improvement, I'd certainly be interested in getting like Mm -hmm. an 8950X or 9950X or whatever it ends up being called and just slotting that straight in. Whereas the Threadripper platforms at the moment seem very much one and done type deals. And of course, they're extremely expensive on top of that. So Mm -hmm. you're dealing with, you know, a next gen 16 core CPU I'm hoping is probably in the 800 US mark. A Threadripper processor is thousands of dollars, not to mention the motherboard, the specific memory. And just for my use case, it, it just doesn't seem like that is is the way to go really. So I think I'll probably be sticking on AM5 for workstations for Premiere for the foreseeable future, I think. Yeah, that, it makes sense. Look, when Threadripper first came onto the, the market, and I think probably the most, the 3970X was quite expensive. That was probably the last one that you could sort of justify though. It was yep. it was sort of worth paying the premium for because the added performance was really good, especially for encoding. Like, yep. don't get me wrong, the 7980X system that we've put together and Balin uses daily has been pretty flawless. It's pretty amazing. Nice. It does everything as well as your 7950X 3D and then plus the fact Plus that it, it destroys has, yeah just, encoding it, it, yeah yeah well it's got 64 cores so it's a five thousand dollar us cpu though but when it so the other day we had to encode on my 7950x 3d i can't remember what video it was but it took yeah like four times longer which makes mm-hmm. sense right uh i guess we just had we got used to and we didn't fully appreciate how insanely fast for encoding the 7980x is um really good we've basically had no issues with that system which is nice. touch touch wood amazing because the 5995wx was mm-hmm. a disaster it really was just a nightmare pulling our hair out over that one we we tried multiple well, we tried two cpus two motherboards different memory kits and we just kept getting these weird unexplainable like performance related issues it was very bizarre so anyway very happy with it 
Apparently, Oddity is uh, in a sudden loss of power. So obviously, we want to put a UPS on that system. We did have one on there, but it needs replacing. So there's currently no UPS on there. And when you have sudden loss of power, the system will not turn back on. I mean, it powers up. It just doesn't post. You have to Mm. reset the BIOS, load back into the BIOS, which takes like three or four minutes to, you know, memory train and get to the BIOS. Uh, And then you can load um, Expo settings, reset, and it's fine. So you can shut the system down, unplug the cable, leave it unplugged for an hour if you want, plug the cable back in, power it up, it's fine. But sudden loss of power for some reason, it needs to be BIOS reset mm. before you can use it again. So that's, I don't know if that's by design for some reason for a workstation PC uh, or it's some sort of weird quirk with it. But yeah, we've, we've had um, sudden loss of power two or three times on it now and every single time we've had to go through that weird procedure where we have to hit the CMOS uh, reset switch and then sit there for up to five minutes before it'll post. Um, but yeah, if you don't do that, you can leave. We, we think the first time we left it for half an hour, we turned it on, we went and did something, forgot about it, came back, still wasn't on. It was powered up, just wouldn't mm. post. And yeah, the reset fixes that. So that's the only oddity we've come across. Other than that, it's just been blistering fast and amazing, but yeah, also disgustingly yeah. expensive. So yeah, certainly I'll, I'll be sticking with this. Um, the interesting thing about some of the boards as well was that not all uh, X670 boards had the enough PCI um, slots for the mm-hmm, amount of mm-hmm. uh, devices I wanted. So I wanted obviously the GPU, a capture card, PCI capture card, and the 10 gig networking card if it didn't have 10 gig networking. And a lot of X670 boards, like the, especially the mid to lower range ones, only have two PCIe uh, ports on the board. They'll often sacrifice those to put in more M.2 slots and stuff, which is always nice. But this is one of those situations where actually <laughs> buying a more premium X670 board has a benefit for a workstation build like this because you can get high performance, as in you can get things like tank networking put into the board so you don't have to use a PCIe slot for that or just more PCIe slots and more M.2 slots. I can think the MSI board that I'm using has three or four M.2s plus the three PCIe's plus good networking and USB capabilities. And for a high-end workstation like I've built, I would definitely go with something like that, one of the more premium $500 boards. Whereas for gaming, you kind of look at those things and you're like, I don't need all that stuff. So I'll just go a lower-end board and that 100% makes sense. But when you're getting to these sort of, I guess, more niche, more high-end, custom-built, specific work you know, use cases it makes sense to go for the the things with all the additional bells and whistles. So yeah, good. it is a bit annoying though, the fact that there are so many M.2s on those boards. I guess it's a gamers like M.2 expansion or whatever, but realistically you're better off with the PCIe slots, which you've gone with, and just offer the M.2s on a PCIe riser card or buy an expansion card if you want more M.2s. Yeah. I think because, my board came with one. Like yeah, it comes it with one of those. The high-end ones do, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they, they often remove them on, on board. Because, yeah, you're sacrificing flexibility by mm. replacing PCIe slots with, you know, fixed M.2s on board. Anyway, uh, I guess you've got a variety of boards, but it is a bit annoying that you have to spend a lot more money for, for that sort of board that, that you ended up uh, wanting, really. Yeah, I think the, the final thing to mention about my, my sort of Threadripper system is I've been much happier with the the heat and power consumption of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's was sort of, it wasn't really a consideration when I was making the change, but 
the system that I've got now can simply run a lot quieter because it's not outputting nearly as much heat. Like a 3090 itself was what, like over 300 watts load, full load, and then you get the 3970X was like 280 watts or something, and you're encoding at times it can be fully utilizing both the GPU and CPU if you're using like a high-quality encode. And it was noisy. Like had to crank those fans up and Mm -hmm. just dumping out a lot of heat. You know, this new system, the power consumption has easily been halved. And, you know, the more flexibility over the types of coolers you can use, you don't have to run the fans as, as high. So it's much more pleasant to use the system. It's not ramping up to high fan speeds as often, so it sits quieter. And while it's not necessary for a workstation, it's kind of just like a nice-to-have feature. It's like yeah, yeah. my office is a very quiet environment most of the time. It's very well insulated. There's not a lot of noise in my area. So I've kind of gotten more sensitive to like PC f- noise and stuff over time and so having this nice quiet system that only when i'm like encoding videos does it really ramp up and even then it's still relatively quiet has been sort of the surprise packet from the move from Thorito to am5 that i've been very pleasantly surprised with and maybe i'll upgrade from like a 4070 to something a bit more powerful if i need it but so far the 4070 has been perfectly adequate i've never needed like a 4090 tier of mm-hmm. of gpu performance in this system so I'll nice. stick with what I've got. And yeah, so yeah, that's sort of the overview of my my switch from Threadripper to AM5. As I said, it's been working well, solved some issues that I've had. And yeah, for the foreseeable future, I'll be, I think, sticking on this platform and then potentially when Zen 5 comes around, just doing a drop-in upgrade and getting that bit additional performance, whatever they're planning on offering. So I guess that's increasing the interest that I personally have in, in Zen 5. Because like for a gaming system, I'm like, I think my gaming system's perfectly fast enough, but... Yeah, if they bring out a nice new fast 16 core or something, then I'll be all over it, I reckon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about what's been going on in our boring lives. All right, we're back. So, Steve, have you been doing anything that has not been dealing with a massive power outage and having to source a generator to power your house like a hospital? Um. Yeah, look, well, the the week I sort of took off when uh, I was having to power my house like a hospital... I spent a fair bit of time working under the deck on that sort of shed project. I've put some updated photos in the Harbour Unbox Discord BTS section. Nice. That's going very well. Happy with how that's coming up. Um, so, yeah, I probably won't talk about that too much because, yeah, you can either see the photos if you're a Harbour Unbox member. And if not, well, it's a it's a box that I built under my deck. So that's that. So yep. I spent a bit of time on that. Uh, of course, there was some lawn mowing going on, so we've always got to fit that in each week. A bit of lawn mowing, we love a bit of lawn mowing. Did that? Really? I haven't mowed my lawn in weeks. It's been very dry out here. I haven't had rain in yeah, we've a had month. a little bit. We've yeah. had a little bit. I mean, I haven't been mowing like sort of the, the spring autumn time. It's like two, three times a week. This yeah. is like once a week a max, um, sort of every week and a half. But you know, we haven't done it for two weeks, so I, ha- I have mowed in that time. I just want to let the people know, Tim, that the mower you've mowed. Yeah, I, I fired it up. It's cut like a dream. It was very satisfying hour of my life, and uh, yeah, that was great. So got the mowing out of the way. Um, what else have I? I had to buy a new Dewalt tool. I bought their, oh, the the nice. biggest um, impact wrench they have because. Just quick story, Balin was driving home from work. He messaged me as he was on his way home and he said, oh man, I'm going to struggle to get home. One of my my front left tires deflating, so I had to pull over, fill it up. There was a chunk taken out of the sidewall of the tire. Uh, the tire expert thinks that he nicked a pothole. 
and that's um, right. Yep. Cut the the tire. He's, he's got he's got a Volkswagen Arteon. It's a super nice looking car, uh, and it has twenty inch rims stock. So there's very little uh, rubber there, very little tire sidewall, and I've warned him about that on our crappy roads. So he's um, having to change the way he gets to work because he takes the shortcut and it's like it's it's, whole city, is it? it, it's a four wheel drive track. So he's taken the slightly less crap road now. So hopefully that'll stop him from um because when you get to winter, these things fill with water and you just don't know. And um, yeah, they're, they're yeah. like they're like landmines for twenty inch rims, seventeens, especially if they're factory rims. They're generally pretty tough and they'll take it, but the twenties. Um, just the sight of a pothole is enough to either blow out a tire <laughs> or dent them. So thankfully the rim wasn't dented. He didn't even feel it. So I think they reckon he just caught the edge of one and that's yeah. the, the sharp edges has taken a, it, it's sort of like ripped a chunk of the tire. It was still hanging on, but it was enough to cause it to deflate. So he couldn't get it off. He had a, he got the, the four or five, I think it must've been four nuts off, but there was a lock nut on there. Yep. And he kept slipping off that with the the bar. So we went and bought it. I told him to go buy a long pipe to put on there to give him more leverage, but it kept slipping off. So I took over the little DeWalt rattle gun that I had, which is sort of, I think it's one of the smaller ones, but not the smallest one. And it works on all the big bolts and stuff on my mowers and that sometimes it has to, you know, do the uh, impact effect for 10 seconds or whatever to crack it. But we tried and mate, it was, it was warming up the bit and it was not, <laughs> it was not cracking it. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, the next day I headed down to Sydney Tools to see one of our, our Patreon members there, uh, Ib Slice. So shout out to Ib Slice. He hooked me up with the biggest, baddest, uh, the new version. I think it's the 900 and something. Anyway, it's an absolute weapon. On the second impact, it just smacked it off. Like it was like bang, bang, and it was undone. I was like, well, that nice. was easy. It's a big, it's about, oh, it's more than twice the weight of the one I was using so that was a great success. So now I have that weapon in my arsenal um, and Balin nice. uh, is very happy. We actually went and loosened the other three lock nuts because they were so unbelievably tight. Uh, it's just It was not possible to undo them by hand. just couldn't be done. Um, we tried for probably 20 minutes on a 38-degree day, so lots of sweat was uh, lost. Yeah, not ideal if you get a flat and you're just in the middle of nowhere or something and you have to swap a tire or something and you yeah, can't get it off that's right i'm like mate i don't care about the torque specification of these then with my small rattle gun they ain't ever coming off but at least you can undo them um so anyway yeah he took the the small rattle gun home and um or the small impact wrench same sort of thing and, and um and did them all up to the max torque setting on that so you know he'll be able to undo it if he gets stuck in the middle of nowhere because he does have a spare tire so that's on there. The uh, damage one, he's getting a new tire put on that. They're like Pirelli tires, so they're pretty decent. Chuck that in the boot, and then he'll have a backup again. So anyway, we um, bit of a sidetrack there with some impact wrenches. That was a funny. And whenever I get to buy a new tool, balance oh, like, oh, yeah. I'll pay for half the tool or whatever. I'm like, mate, I've got this. <laughs> I get to buy a new. <laughs> You're <tool."> a collector. <laughs> I'm a collector. Um, so the last time I took the big, huge bolts off the spindles on the mower, so you know the blade spindles to yeah. sharpen the blades. They're really, they're, they're quite, I think they're like a 22 bolt, 22 mil. And it was really like, yeah, it was going at it. It took about 10 to 20 seconds before it would actually crack it. Um, whereas this thing will crack it basically instantly. So anyway, did that. Um, and I guess it's a bit of a side story. I'll tell this though. It's sort of a personal thing, um, not related to anything we do, but uh, the original 
I guess you could call him the founder of Hardware Unboxed, Matt, who a lot oh, of yeah. you guys know lovingly, Matt. Um, obviously still great friends with Matt, see him a lot. Um, unfortunately, last just a few days ago, his house was broken into while him and his family were sleeping in it. Um, half a dozen guys came in, um, got the car keys and everything, stole um, his AMG and his Volkswagen Alltrack, drove off on those. They've got the Volkswagen Alltrack back now, but they're missing a key. So they're basically going to trade that car in and lose a ton of money. So like insurance doesn't help there. So that, and that's right, the problem. Yep. When people always think, oh, you know, your car got stolen, whatever. Um, insurance will cover it. But I had a family member years ago had their brand new car stolen. The engine wasn't even broken in yet. The guys flogged the absolute crap out of it. You know, cold engine, full throttle, and the engine came back completely clapped out. Like it was, it was didn't sound good. And the insurance company's like, oh, the car's intact. Like you know, mm. if you've got your car back, so. You know, that, that sucked for them. They got a brand new car back with a cooked engine that sort of wasn't covered under any kind of warranty or insurance because it was done under theft. So there are some very gray areas there with insurance. Yeah, that's a loophole. That's a loophole. Not so, no ideal. Yeah, so Matt, he's faced with having to spend $5,000 to have, you know, the essentially the ignition system rebarreled and all that sort of stuff done which isn't really worth it to him. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure what he's going to do there, but I think trade-in is an option and the dealer takes care of that. They probably do it a lot cheaper um, when, it, when it's, they own the car. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, obviously pretty terrifying, horrible experience for Matt and his family because he does have two young children, um, you know, toddler, baby type, type stages. And the, these guys came in, would, would have been walking past the kid's bedroom and stuff. So they found... And it's pretty sad as well because the whole house is locked up. He's got cameras and whatnot. But they found um, one of the kitchen windows was cracked by a couple of inches. They were able to force that open and then climb through. One guy went in. He took his shoes off and everything so he could sneak around the house really quietly. And then Mm. he rounds up the keys, let the other guys in. They got everything. And Matt woke up 20 minutes later just by coincidence. One of the kids woke up. um, But the guys were long gone by then. They actually took Matt's cars to a house, I think two Ks away and did the same thing there. So, and mm. the reason I guess I'm telling this story is because it's, it's, it's really frustrating because this has been well known, like this gang of youths that is doing this, they're like 16 year old kids, I guess. Um, they've for months, they've been breaking into houses in sort of the Southeastern suburbs. And I think they've been caught and they've been bailed out. They just go back to doing it straight away. I guess the money they make doing it probably pays for their bail. So, (laughs) Um, I guess so. With the current laws, which I know they're trying to get tougher laws for guys that commit like home invasion type stuff as 16-year-olds, which is pretty appalling really. Uh, But anyway, that happened to Matt. Um, So, yeah, we've trying to support Matt and help him out and his family and stuff. Um, offered to lend him my car, but he's managed to get a good mate that lent him a car because they wake up one morning, you know, he's got a job, his wife has a job, they've got two kids, they've got no cars, nothing. And you, it's weird as well. I'm not even sure. I haven't actually spoke to him about the insurance process there because obviously they've got one car back in good condition, but it's missing a key. Uh, the AMG is still MIA. Don't think we'll probably ever see that one again. So insurance will eventually pay him out on that, but I'm not sure like... How long does your car have to be missing for? Yeah, I guess like they have to go through a whole police process of like they have to try find it or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like um, Matt said the police were fantastic. They were at his house within like four minutes at 3 a.m. or something after making the call. And they were actively looking for these guys already, I believe. Um, I think they caught up with some of them. 
But again, they, they catch them, they rest them, they charge them, they post bail, they go back out and they do it again. So yeah, really, not ideal. Nah. So hopefully they can change those laws because I feel like if you're going to commit home invasion at, at uh, any age, you should probably be locked up and face the full wrath of the law because like once you're at an age where you can choose to, you know, break into someone's house and steal their possessions, like, you know, there's a heap of other things they stole. Um, his wife's business laptop with probably sensitive information, certainly personal information on that. They stole Matt's wallet, um, you know, obviously the two cars and a heap of other stuff. But I think for me, and I'm, I'm sure Matt and probably his wife would agree, the worst part is just the fact that they had their two young children in the house and these thumbs yeah. have broken in. And the, the cars and stuff and the money they've lost, while that sucks and is unfair, it's like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, Matt's not poor, but it's still unfair, but yeah, just having your kid, you know, they've got a really nice just house. It's a risk, isn't it? And like, it's just no yeah. good. Yeah. So, yeah, really crap thing to have um, happen to anyone. But yeah, um, having it happen to Matt, who really started Harbour Unboxed, yeah, it sucks. So, yeah, wishing them all the best. And yeah, feel for Matt in that situation. Mm. Certainly not an ideal thing to have happen. And yeah, just, oh, I don't even know what I'd do if I saw that, like, People were just rummaging around in my house. Not that I have kids or anything, but I imagine if I had kids and there's walking part, oh, I'd be I'd be pretty upset about that situation. Be, yeah, be pretty well, mad. Yeah, my uh, my dad said he's very glad that Matt wasn't awake or didn't wake up because um, as some of you may know Matt's quite a big unit. He is a trained mixed martial artist. He spent multiple years overseas, taking it very seriously when he was sort of into his UFC phase. Mm. Um, so he's not someone you want to mess with. Um, one of his leg kicks will put you down for the count. Um, and yeah, if he had have caught these guys, uh, you know, cause I, I, knowing Matt and the kind of guy he is, he would have taken them on, but you know, are they armed? Do they have knives, guns, who knows? Um, so probably a good thing that Matt was asleep and didn't catch them in the act because he's not the kind of guy that he would know the risks involved. But I think he'd be there to protect his family and, yeah, it could go oh. badly. But, yeah, thankfully no one was hurt, so that's probably the best thing that you can. But, yeah, I, the thing that just sucks is obviously having someone break into your house, have intruders in your house where you've got your family in there and then, you know, they've got to sleep in there the next night, they've got to live there, that that sucks. Um, I know mm. there's people in the world that deal with much worse on a regular basis, but it's not something we're used to here and, you know, probably shouldn't have happened with the... Uh, the sort of uh, things we have in place, but anyway. Uh, what else is there to say? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, not really. Not really? Not Actually, too much. Tim, did you, when was the last time you used your mower? Oh, uh, like I said, I haven't mowed the lawn for about three weeks now because mm. it's been very dry. Most of most of my willing, lawn is, is brown yeah, at the moment. Are, are you so. willing to lie to the audience and say you did it more recently? It uh, probably It's probably getting to the point where it needs to be done this maybe, weekend. Are you going to so. get out and do it after this podcast? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, the weather's okay. not yeah. forty. It was forty yeah. degrees here yesterday. Yeah, so it's like twenty today, isn't it? So yeah, not ideal yeah. for mowing the lawn. Forty degrees you, Celsius, of course. You go mow yours now. I'll mow mine. I think all will be well in the podcast <laughs> world. That's and, right. And just remember, when you're filling out the Nvidia survey for what you'd like changed, don't be a grandma and complain. All right. Yes. Give them that's constructive right. feedback. Don't this say bring back the old yeah, control panel. Yeah, the, the tomato sauce hasn't been moved to a more inconvenient location. They're working yes. on improving the tomato sauce. It is definitely so, and, a... And also, sorry about my creaky chair. I will replace that. If it's not creaking now. But if you've heard a weird, creaking, annoying sound throughout this podcast, 
Yeah, that's my bad. Sorry. Apologies. That's your chair. Put some WD-40 on that, mate. Yeah, I'm going to have to, yeah. Lube up <laughs> oh. my chair. All right, that's it for Hard Unboxed Podcast Episode 22. We'll be back next week because Steve will have a generator installed and will never miss a podcast again. So we'll be back to talk about whatever there is to talk about next week. You can, of course, get the audio version via Spotify, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, all your favorite apps. Um, we've got the video version as well. People, have, Some people have said, you know, why don't you put up the charts last time when you're talking about all the, Podcast. the different... It's, it's, a, a it's a podcast. It's for audio. So, yeah, the video version is just us speaking. There's no additional visuals or anything like that. It is just us. So, Really, for a, a better viewer experience, this should just be a black screen so they have to look at our ugly mugs. Yeah, that would be better. Or should just say those, Steve and Tim. We could use those AI features to make me look like a cartoon. I can yeah, make myself look, look really that. cool. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. Anyway, we'll look into that for next week. Until then, that's it for this episode. <laughs> See you again in the next one. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.